Today we are continuing a series that we've been in uh, for a handful of weeks called Practicing Christian. We're looking at six habits and attitudes that are essential to a life of, of living as a follower of Jesus, but continually growing as a follower of Jesus. And if you've been with us, you know that you've been reminded and encouraged throughout this series to be engaged in this conversation. And what we've meant by that is taking notes, writing down things as the Spirit strikes you so that this teaching can live with you throughout the week. And we even gave you a notebook to help with that. And if you brought your notebook from the previous weeks, good for you. You get a thousand points. (laughs) The points mean absolutely nothing, but you have a thousand of them. If you need one of these, we've actually run out. You've been really excited about these. We're going to have more of these with us next week, all right? Um, So so feel free to grab some next week. We're going to continue this series. We started this whole conversation talking about how an attitude of daily surrender is at the heart of a life of following Jesus. Each and every day, we kind of hand our life over to him and say, it's not about me, it's about you. And then last week, we talked about the centrality and the importance of being a person of prayer, of living out this relationship in conversation with God. And today, we continue by taking a look at the necessity of of studying and growing in the Scriptures. Now, the big idea for this morning is this. We can put these words on the screen. It says, a practicing Christian fills his or her life with God's words. I'd write that down. A practicing Christian fills his or her life with God's words. You become what you consume. You become what you consume. And that, that's, uh, that's not just a conversation about food, but it's, but it's mostly a conversation about ideas and thoughts and words and the stories that you hear. Uh, the things that you allow to, to, become before your, to come before your eyes or to infiltrate your ears, they shape you and affect you in big ways and small ways, but always they affect you. Uh, as an example, um, a friend of mine, uh, he, he's married to this, this lovely, lovely woman of faith. And um, she just happens, however, to, to be really into like murder mysteries and like crime novels and um, uh, stories of, of unsolved, horrible crimes, like loves to watch the Dateline special where it's always the husband who did it. Or there's, there's always a series on Netflix about some horrible crimes that are committed. Well, well she, she, she's an incredible woman, awesome person of faith, loves these things. And the other day, they were, they were at Home Depot, and they were getting ready to do some yard work on a Saturday, and they were buying some supplies that they didn't have, and they were walking through the Home Depot, and they, they bought a new shovel, they bought some gloves, they bought some heavy-duty trash bags. <laughs> and as they're headed to the checkout, the wife just kind of stops, and she says, I'm not comfortable with this. <laughs> and the husband's like, why? We, we need all this for our yard work. And she says, if, if, we, if we buy these things, someone might think that we're trying to get rid of a body. Like, no, no one's going to think that. We're, we're, just, we're just removing shrubs, right? I was told it was shrubs. What you consume shapes you. And, and here's, here's a sad fact. Followers of Jesus have been, have been consuming less and less and less of God's word. It's just a, it's a statistical truth. 
Uh, every quarter, uh, the Nielsen Group, who used to measure TV ratings, now they measure like all of media consumption. Every quarter, uh, they, they release statistics on overall average media, media consumption for Americans. And in their, in their last report, they said that the average American consumes 12 hours of media a day. Now, that, that encompasses everything. The television show that you watch, the Netflix series that you stream, uh, the article you read on Facebook that your Aunt Linda shared with you, the podcast that you listen to, the talk radio that you listen to. It, it, it takes into account all of that. It says the average American consumes 12 hours of media a day. Now, compare that with these statistics on biblical literacy among Americans. Let's just put these on the screen. It says 87% of American households have at least one Bible. I'm a Bible guy. I think that's good. 87% of American households have at least one Bible. Most houses have three. 50% of adults can name one or more of the Gospels. Just 50% of adults can name one or more of the Gospels. 42% can name five of the Ten Commandments. It goes downhill from there. 75% believe that the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, is in the Bible. It's not. (laughs) Uh, Actually, it's in Second Opinions chapter 3. That's where you'll find it. (laughs) And then 12% believe that the name of of, of Noah's wife was Joan of Arc. (laughs) And I know at least one of you is like, it's not. (laughs) It's okay. You don't have to tell us. Now, now hold that data in one hand and consider these words from the Apostle Paul to Timothy. He says this, As for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, another way of talking about the scriptures handed down, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. The Apostle Paul says to Timothy, a young pastor, he says, as for you, and then by implication, the congregations that you you lead, let them be constantly consuming the word of God. Continue in your knowledge and consumption of the scriptures, because in them you meet God. In them you receive faith, and your faith is strengthened. Through them you have an encounter with the divine, and you experience life change that you can't get anywhere else. Practicing Christians are to be people who live as followers of Jesus and grow as followers of Jesus because they are filling their life with the words and the truths that talk about and point to and highlight their constant need for Jesus. Because after all, you become what you consume. And if we consume very little of God's word, if you're here as a follower of Jesus, we should not be surprised that we look very little like Jesus, that we lack the peace of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, or the perspective of Jesus. So with the time that I have left, what I want to do is I want to highlight the the attitude that a, a person of faith brings to God's word when he or she reads it or hears it, so that we might get the most out of it. Okay? So here's the first thing I want you to write down. A practicing Christian reads the scriptures in order to see the truth. And this might sound like an obvious statement, but I need to explain it. Um, 
A practicing Christian approaches the scriptures in order to see the truth. Um, Perhaps this scripture will help. Let's read this together out loud. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Let's try that again. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Uh, Followers of Jesus open up the scriptures because we believe that when we do, it's God's way of turning the lights on for us, so to speak. Through God's word, we are able to see truth in that we are able to see the world as God says it actually is. It allows us to see ourselves as God sees us. It allows us to see the world around us as God sees us. Uh, It allows us to see the future as God sees it. It allows us to see things like sin, all that's broken and bad. It allows us to see the story of forgiveness. It allows us to see that God is working a larger narrative throughout all of human history. This story of creation and fall and salvation and then a fixing, a renewal of all things. Unless God's word comes to us and turns the lights on and shows us the truth, we don't see any of those things. We just kind of stumble around in darkness And so if God is God, and if God is Father, and if he's a good Father, he turns on the lights so that we can see who we are and where we are and who he is. That's what we believe the Word does, turns on the lights. And that's what any good parent does. If you're you're a parent of children, one of your primary jobs as you try to nurture them into flourishing adulthood eventually is that you turn the lights on for them, not just to wake them up on a Saturday morning. But you turn on the metaphorical lights for them. This is why you say things like this to your teenage son. Son, in the real world, you have to shower. <laughs> like more than once a quarter. Turn in the lights on. Or you, say, or you say to your daughter, you say, Sweetheart, you have a cell phone because someone pays for that cell phone. That's how the world works. If you want to type the words OMG to your friend 4,000 times, it's because somebody in this house has a J-O-B. That's how the world works. <laughs> Lights are turned on. And what the scriptures do for us is that it continually turns the lights on. Shows us the reality of who we are, who God is, the story of all the things that he's doing. That's what happens in the word. We come to it expecting to encounter the truth. Related to that is that we also come to the scriptures when we open it up or when we hear it. We come to the scriptures seeing it as the ultimate authority. Seeing it as the ultimate authority. It's the authority over us. Uh, there's, there's two kind of basic ways in which you could approach the Christian scriptures. You can approach the Christian scriptures as if they stand over you and interpret you and your world, or as if you and your world stand over them, and you and your worldview or the culture around you interprets the scriptures. You you are either going to understand the Bible in light of the current cultural orthodoxy, what everybody else says is right and true, Or you're going to understand the current cultural orthodoxy in light of the Bible. The culture will either tell you what to accept and reject in the Bible, or you will take the scriptures and it will tell you what to accept and reject in the culture. Are you following with me? One thing has to stand over all other things. 
And what followers of Jesus do is we, we, we try hard, and this is really difficult, and, and, and it's, it's, not a, it's, not a, it's not a natural thing for us, and it takes some discernment as we try to figure out how God's Word interprets the world around us. But what we try to do is have God's Word over us and over our view of what's happening in the land around us. You see, when, when we come to faith, we have other authorities over our lives. It could be what everybody else says is right and wrong. It could be what our parents said is right and wrong. It could be some, some personal agenda that we have. And then as we grow in our faith, what happens is God's word is given to us and whatever that other authority is that tells us how to see the world and how to make our decisions and what to value, that other authority is removed from over top of us and God's words take that chief, that chief part, that chief place. And then we begin to interpret ourselves and the world around us through those words. Through those words. If you don't do that, what you're going to end up doing is you're going to take whatever the current culture says is most important, and you're going to use that as the interpretive framework through which you look at the scriptures. And if anything in the scriptures doesn't align with what everybody else in the current culture or what your personal agenda says is right and wrong, you're going to ditch that thing from the scriptures, or you're going to find a way to, to reinterpret it so it fits with what everybody else says is right. But if we're really here to follow Jesus and to be molded and shaped by him, we see the word as the ultimate authority and we do the opposite. And it's really hard to figure out how to do that, but we labor in it for all of our lives. The word stands over us and it tells us who we are. It tells me who my neighbor is. It tells me what's right and wrong. It tells me what God's desire is and what his plan is for this world. And I seek to interpret the world through that and not anything else. And that's really hard but that's what we're called to do. And, and not, to be, not to be too harsh on this, but, but if, there's, if there's no reading or absorption of God's word in your life, it's very difficult for you to say with any honesty that he's the ultimate authority over your life. Molding and shaping what you say and what you think and how you see the world. Connected to that, third thing, is that we come to the scriptures with a heart of trust. We come to the scriptures with a heart of trust. Uh, one of the things I hear from, from folks who, who struggle with the Christian faith or with faith in general, and in particular with the Bible, is that they feel that the Bible is not trustworthy. They feel that it is perhaps old and outdated and uh, it, is, it is backwards and that we are a more uh, enlightened and evolved and scientific people. And certainly, uh, we have the blessing of all of history behind us and we know a lot of things and we understand a lot of things. Um, but what we have to understand is that here's something that's also true. That, that you and I as a people, the ones who happen to be alive on this planet right now, there are many things about our great-grandparents and our great-great-great-grandparents about generations gone by that we look at and we think is backwards and broken and unenlightened. And we kind of laugh at how they could ever believe such a thing. In fact, many, if not most of the things that previous generations used to think is true or how they used to operate in their lives, we kind of scoff at if we're honest. But we are foolish if we think that two generations from now are not going to see us the same way. 
the things we know for certain today as a culture, the things we champion as of utmost importance as a culture, the things we say we're, the hills we're willing to die on as a culture two generations from now, our great-great-grandchildren will say they were well-intentioned but certainly on the wrong side of history. So here's what's really foolish. What's really foolish is refusing to trust a book at all that has stood the test of time when your cultural views that you're lifting up as the end-all, be-all will themselves be seen as irrelevant in relatively short time. And we lose sight of how arrogant it is for, for, for a people so young to discredit something because it is so old. What we're often saying when we say that we don't know if we can trust the scriptures is what we're, what we're really saying, if you dig down deep, I would posit to you, is that we, we struggle to trust God. And we struggle with the idea of having a relationship with him. Because if God is real and if God is speaking, then I have to, I have to receive his words. And having a relationship with someone means that, that I have to trust the things that they say and, and I have to listen to them and be molded and shaped by them, that there's conversation and there's concession, that I can't just do what I want. You can, you can push the scriptures away and have a God made in your own image, but you will not have God. If God is real, then he's going to say things about you and our world, about marriage, and sexuality, and money, and all the things that our world champions, if God is real, then he's going to say things that contradict what we think, that challenge what we think. If there is a God who's out there who has nothing challenging or contradictory to say to us, then what we have is not a God, but a pet that we've created. That's like saying that you're going to find the perfect spouse who's never going to disagree with you, and you're never going to get in a fight. You're going to be lonely. To be in a relationship with someone means that they have words to give to you that challenge you, that change you, that confront you, that have to be wrestled with by you. At the heart of every relationship is a posture of trust that what this person says to me, I can believe. The next thing is that we come to it expecting it to give us Jesus. What we believe is that when we encounter these words, it's not just ink on paper or, or a voice through a speaker, that, that in the end what we believe is that it is a divine encounter. That it's God himself who is speaking to us. And what Christians believe is that whenever God speaks through his word, what he's ultimately up to is giving you Jesus. That's his primary motive. That, that when, you, when you open up the scriptures, what he's doing is he's trying to put your need for Jesus in front of your eyes in some way. He's trying to give you the promises of Jesus so they might be packed away in your heart in some way. He's trying to instruct you or convict you of what it means to live a life that looks like Jesus in some way. He's trying to remind you of the ultimate hope that you have in Jesus in some way. The ultimate aim of the scriptures is to give you a divine encounter that perpetually pushes you to Christ. And so what you can believe is you can believe that you are opening the scriptures and you're going to encounter Jesus. One of my best friends, he tells the story about growing up in a home of unbelievers. They never, ever went to church. It was totally foreign to him. And yet in their house, they had three Bibles. And this was the, the mid-1970s when he was uh, in early years of his, of his teenage life. And he, he recalls 
all of a sudden feeling this urge to open up the Bible. And they had a giant, giant Bible in white leather sitting on their, on their, um, on their coffee table in their, in their living room that his parents were given when they were married. But no one ever opened it. So he went downstairs and he opened up the Bible and he started reading in the first place that it opened to and it opened up to the Psalms. It opened up to a Psalm that was talking about the beauty of creation and the, the majesty and the greatness of God. And it was nighttime. And so my friend walked outside, looked up and happened to be a, a clear sky in the middle of Illinois where he lived and he saw the stars in the sky. And with that, those words that he just read ringing in his ears and looking up at the stars of the sky, he, he was convicted that there is a God, there is a maker. And he describes it as the moment that his heart started to stir with faith. And he went back into the house and he opened up to another section of scripture and it was the gospels. And he started to read about the person of Jesus. And that is the moment he says that he encountered Jesus. His life has changed. He's full of faith and he's never, ever been the same. Friends, every time you open up the scriptures, that is God's goal for you, an encounter with Jesus that changes you. Now, it's not always going to feel transformative. It's not always going to feel life-changing. But be confident that every time God's word comes to you, that little whisper, that little stirring that you hear as you encounter the scriptures, it is the voice of Jesus himself. When you're willing to open the word, that's what he gives you himself. That's what he gives you. Now, the question you might be asking is, well, how do I do this? So I'm willing to, I'm willing to read the Bible a little more. I know I should. I'm willing to come at it with, uh, uh, with eyes looking to be enlightened, with a, with a heart of trust, believing that it's the ultimate authority interpreting my life and showing me how to see the rest of the world around me. I'm, I'm willing to do that. I'm ready to hear from Jesus. How do I do that? Well, you're going to need three resources. You might want to write these down. You're going to need a Bible you can actually read. You're going to need resources to assist you, and you're going to need a process to repeat. Now, most homes have a Bible in them, but many people, if you ask them, they will tell you that they have a Bible that they struggle to understand. Maybe it's written in some academic language, or it's written in the, the old King James, and they struggle to wrap their mind around it. First things first, get a Bible that you can read. If you don't have a Bible that's readable to you, that's enjoyable to you, take one of the Bibles that's in the back of our pews, home with you. Steal a Bible from church. It, it's okay. We got a lot of them. We got a Bible guy. We can replenish. Steal a Bible from church. If anybody tries to stop you, show some muscle and fight for it, okay? I recommend the ESV study Bible. It's, it's an accurate translation from the original Greek and Hebrew. Uh, it's also pretty readable and it's full of notes and resources to help you understand the context of things. You're going to need a Bible you can read. Second thing are resources to assist you. And the primary resource you need in the study of God's word is God's people. God's word was not meant to be read and studied primarily in isolation. That's how heresy happens, okay? You need God's people around you to encourage you, to read it with you, to make discoveries alongside of you, and at times to correct you and be like, nobody believes that and neither should you. You've read that wrong. You need God's people around you. So you need to be in a Bible study on a Sunday morning or later this year, we're going to launch some small groups in people's homes. You need to be a part of one of those. You can have the resource of God's people around you. Likewise, we live in a world where there is an abundance of podcasts and apps and YouTube videos that can help you unlock the depth and the beauty of God's word. 
And the third thing you need is you need a process to repeat. Do not just crack open your Bible. As, as transformative as my friend's experience was, it is not the norm. Do not just crack open the Bible, determine tomorrow morning to read it cover to cover and start at Genesis chapter 1. You will fall asleep before chapter 2, not because it's boring, but because you're not used to it. Here, here's what you need. I think you need to begin with one of the Gospels and the book of Psalms. The Gospels reorient you about the person of Jesus who's at the center of our faith, and the Psalms give you words to articulate your faith. If you want to dive into this for the first time or dive back into it after a long time, start there. And then you need a process as you read the Scriptures. And I want to pass one along to you as we close. This is a tried and true process. Some of you know this. I've been doing this for years. It's an acronym called SOAP. It stands for Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. And this is often, if not best, done with some kind of like notebook or journal with you. You can do this in 10 minutes. Um, it begins with Scripture. Choose some small section of Scripture. Usually for me, it's about a chapter or less of something that I'm reading and working through. And you read it. Scripture. Read Scripture. I usually read it out loud helps me retain the information. Also, the scripture was given to us largely intended to be verbalized and spoken out loud. I would read through it multiple times. Read through it multiple times. And then once you're done reading through it multiple times, you then observe, write down observations. What's happening here? What's it talking about here? What's it touching on here? Talk about it to yourself. What's happening in this text? Make observations. And then you shift to application. Given what the scripture says, what's happening here, how does this apply to me today? What, what, what truth can I take from this to live today? What promise can I glean from this to hold tight to today? What reminder of Jesus does this offer me today? And you seek to apply it to your life. And then lastly, you pray. You pray, Heavenly Father, take these words of yours that I have read the observation and applications that I have made and help me to live them out. Change me through them. And then you close your Bible and you go about your day. Scripture, observation, application, and prayer. I've got a whole list of really great resources that I prepared this week for you if you want to dive into God's Word. And if you want these resources, it's really easy to get them. You just need to text the word Bible to the number that you see on the screen. And you will get an instantaneous reply with a, with a link. You tap on that link, and there's all the resources that you need. So if you text the word Bible to the number that you see on the screen, we'll send you all of those resources. And there's a bunch of really, really good ones there. We'll leave that on the screen, but let me close with this. If we don't have God's words, we don't have anything. Then God's not revealed himself. He's not shown himself. He's not made himself known to us at all. If we, have God, we don't have God's words, we have nothing. All we've got to go on is our gut. But what if God has spoken? What if we do have his words? Then we should, we should bring them into our life. We should surround them. We should surround ourselves with them, put them in front of our eyes and into our ears. We should consume them. Why? Because you become what you consume. May you, O practicing Christian, become a person whose life is filled with God's words. Let's pray.